This past month, the columnist David Ignatius flipped the idea of a retrospective around and wrote a column with this premise. Here are multiple choices. Which of them will make it into a retrospective published on July 1st, 2020? They read, for instance, number one, as North Korean leader Kim Jong-un prepares his 2020 New Year's address, his biggest challenge will be A, finding a thesaurus with more adjectives to praise President Trump for canceling US military exercises. B, planning a high-speed railway line between Seoul and Pyongyang, despite protests by the United States. C, finding a graceful way to remove spy chief Kim Yong-chol as the channel to the United States and have someone talk, someone else talk to the US envoy. Or D, his biggest challenge will be avoiding military incidents at sea and at air with US and Japanese forces. Question two, the Democratic candidate leading in public opinion polls on December 31st, 2019 will be A, Joe Biden, who promises to nominate former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson as Vice President. B, Beto O'Rourke, whose campaign is boosted by a barnstorming country music band headed by TV host Joe Scarborough. <laughs> C, Kamala Harris, who gains the endorsements of Michelle Obama, Elizabeth Warren, and Hillary Clinton. D, Amy Klobuchar, who runs on a platform of Make America Smart Again. <laughs> Our theme for the month of January, perhaps appropriately, is possibility. Over the next month, I and other folks will be talking about possibility, what it is and what possibilities might await us as individuals, as society, uh, as the Unitarian Universalist Association, that one will be next week, and this morning as a congregation. We live in uncertain times. One of the things that seems to me most powerful about the Ignatius Column is that I honestly don't know where things will be a year from now. Will there be plans for a high-speed rail line between North and South Korea? Or will we anxiously be watching Twitter and the news in the midst of increased tension? Or both. The uncertainty can be very real. Stacy and I met in Maryland in a public policy program. So as you might imagine, we have a number of friends who are federal employees who are currently furloughed. These are uncertain times. But possibility is not the same thing as uncertainty. As I was talking about this sermon with Stacy a couple days ago and trying to figure out how I was going to talk about possibility in the midst of this, she said, possibility is just uncertainty seen through the lens of hope. Uncertainty through the lens of hope. Sometimes I'm the wrong person giving the sermons. Because that's the difference between, oh, that could happen, and oh, that could happen. Or another way, anxiety and excitement feel pretty much the same physically. Butterflies in your, in your stomach, sweating, elevated heart rate, adrenaline. 
but one is based in uncertainty and the other in possibility and in hope. And in many situations, both anxiety and excitement are perfectly reasonable reactions. And one is much easier for most of us to get to. I have created humanity, says God. No, reply the angels, you messed up a perfectly good monkey. <laughs> Just look at it. It has anxiety, among other things. We are anxious things, humans. And responding to uncertainty with hope takes practice. We have to develop habits of hope, looking at the world deliberately to cultivate seeing possibility instead of certainty, to dwell in possibility, what Emily Dickinson calls a fairer house than prose. It's worth saying before we go much further that both uncertainty and possibility are grounded in the real world. Possibility is not the same thing as guaranteed success. Uncertainty is not doom. It is possible that a high-speed rail line will be in negotiations between the two countries on the Korean Peninsula a year from now. Not that it will be agreed to and built and completed in those 12 months. I have my hopes for who will run for president in 2020, but those hopes are constrained by the limits set by the Constitution. The Swedish chef is not a naturally born US citizen. <laughs> and so no matter how much I might hope for that to be, that is not a possible candidate. And there is, of course, another kind of hope, hope unconstrained by the limits of the possible. Hope based in evidence of things not seen, the stuff that we don't see concrete evidence of but nevertheless believe will come to pass. This is the hope of faith and is the subject of a sermon in March, so come back then. Possibility, though. Hope grounded in the conditions that are right in front of us, saying, here's where we are now, and here's where we hope to be. A few weeks from now, the Board of Trustees is going to gather and begin a conversation about strategic planning, about where we are going as a congregation. We've spent the last year and a half doing some important work, updating the bylaws, changing the governance structure of the congregation, settling a new minister, and in some ways, the last year and a half was the culmination of half a decade of transition work in the congregation, dating back through multiple interims and a major renovation. We're in a really good place as a congregation right now. We're in solid shape financially. The renovation is going to be paid off in just about a year. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> We've got a, a superb, varied, and committed group of lay leaders and staff. Our relationships with other institutions in Lincoln are reasonably strong, and they have deep roots that go back decades. There are, of course, a few challenges that carry over from year to year, but many, many less 
than a lot of congregations face. We're at a moment in the congregation's life where we're coming to the end of whatever the period the congregation was just in was. <laughs> I could have written that better. <laughs> when the history of this congregation is written 50 years from now, this will be the end of a chapter, the end of whatever this transitional period gets called. And we're at the start of something else. If we count it from the, the week the renovation was announced, I would say that we're at the end of the beginning. And so that is a time to think about possibility. To take the question that we started with today and pose it to the congregation. In five years, will the Unitarian Church of Lincoln be A, a cultural center in Lincoln known for our varied and high-quality arts and events, ranging from music on Sunday morning to lectures to education, Ali, the preschool that we have here. Or B, knee-deep in a capital campaign, <laughs> planning a new sanctuary that will accommodate our increased worship attendance and times. Or C, celebrating the success we've had along with our partners in forming an interfaith effort to address the intersections of race and sustainable development in city zoning regulation. Or D, some combination of the above. Or something else entirely. Strategic planning, if we do it well, is not a document that gets written and then lives in a shelf in the archives. This building, the renovation, is the result in part of a strategic planning process. And what that process allows for is for us to pick a point to aim for among a range of possibilities and then figure out what the steps are that we need to take to get from where we are now to where we want to be. It also usually takes a little bit of rethinking. There's a story about strategic planning and, uh, and mission defining that goes like this. The Zenith Drilling Company prided itself on being the best drill bit producing company in the world. In many ways, they had revolutionized the industry using tungsten tipped drill bits. The problem is the competition caught up with them and began to erode Zenith's market share to the point where they were no longer profitable. The board of directors decided that a new CEO who could perhaps, to get a new CEO, who could perhaps help the company recover its previously held market leader status. The new CEO and all the leaders and managers had a three-day conference. And the CEO asked everyone to clarify what they thought the mission of the company was. After much conversation and deliberation, they decided that their mission was not only to make drill bits, but also to make the best drill bits in the world. They all agreed that this was an excellent purpose for the company. At this point, the new chief executive said, no, your job is not to make the best drill bits in the world. It is to make the best holes in the world. <laughs> and Zenith, 
went on to innovate la laser drilling and became the best hole-making company <laughs> in the world. So what is it that we're going to be? And my hope is that in this time we can dream big. The congregation, I keep saying congregation, but really that means everybody in this room, the people sitting right here today, and the people who come two Sundays a month, and this is not one of their Sundays, they're the congregation as well. The congregation is capable of doing big things. You've taken a collective agenda over the last half decade that is staggering when viewed as a whole. This process is going to start out with the board meeting in a few weeks, but it's eventually going to be bigger than that, both in the number of folks involved and I hope the scale of what we end up attempting. There's a, a saying in church work that we always overestimate what we can get done in a single year, but we also always underestimate what is possible in a decade. I learned how to sail from my grandfather. This will make sense. <laughs> the family cabin is near a lake in Michigan and I have this really distinct memory. When I was eight or so, I got to take the tiller of the family sailboat for the first time. And so he held onto my hand and then he let go. And within moments, the boat was zigging back and forth and back and forth. And when you looked back, it wasn't a straight, clean wake like you wanna see, but an S-curved wet noodle of a wake. Look at the horizon, my grandfather said. If you just pay attention to the tiller in your hand, you overcorrect in each direction. You end up going back and forth and back and forth. So here's what you do. You pick out a tree all the way on the far bank and you keep your eye on that. And the boat follows where your eye goes. I realize, writing this, that I live in a landlocked state. <laughs> and this may not be the most relatable concrete metaphor. So for Nebraska in January, if you're driving <laughs> and you keep your eye on an approaching pothole and you watch that pothole come in, you run right over it and blow out a tire. That is my attempt to make that metaphor more concrete. <laughs> Wait for that one. <laughs> I've been waiting for that for a couple hours now. <laughs> but what we're, what, in seriousness, what we're doing, I hope, is, is picking out what tree on the far shore that we're going to aim for. There's another thing that happens when you're sailing. When you're sailing into the wind, the whole boat heels over on its side. And you can hear the wind 
just rip through the rigging. Feels like you're going really, really fast. But when the wind is at your back, and you let out the sheet, and things get quiet, and it feels like you're barely moving, until you look backwards and you realize just how far you've gone, and how close that tree on the far bank is coming. So it feels to me like the wind is at our back as a congregation. There's uncertainty, sure, if we want to carry the metaphor a little bit. I'm not sure what the weather is going to be tomorrow. But there is wide open possibility as well. So look to the horizon. Where will we go?